Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. I'm your host, Eric McCroskey, and today I'm very excited to have back with me Dr. Josh Williams. Dr. Josh William is a partner with Propolo Consulting who brings an incredible history of success assessing and transforming safety cultures through a multitude of different industries and approaches. His experience extends across behavioral safety, cognitive psychology, uh, as well as human performance tools. He's worked in this space for well over 20 years with had phenomenal success across industries. He's authored a book and is also a Cambridge Center Award winner for behavioral research. Josh, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Eric, I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Excellent, so today I, I wanna talk about a really important topic. I've, I've been getting a lot of questions on this. Is It's really around uh, behavior-based safety uh, and, and what next? How, how do you make this more successful? So maybe if you can give a, a brief overview in terms of some of the background behavior, behind behavior-based safety uh, and its, its, its early successes uh, that you've seen. It's been around a long time. I was in graduate school in the mid '90s, and it was uh, already, you know, mid midpoint of trajectory in terms of um, being throughout the, the U.S. and beyond Canada and beyond. Uh, lots of companies doing behavioral safety at that point. It started originally with a guy named Scott Geller and also mm-hmm. Tom Krause. They were kind of on the forefront um, in the early '80s, really. So it's been around a long time, and the idea behind it was was fairly simple, and that is most injuries have a behavioral component. And what these guys were doing, what they kind of started was, okay, well, if that's the case, then why don't we list all the important, um, you know, behaviors on a checklist and see how we're doing and and go around just and observe. And if we're doing things more safely more often, it's less likely somebody's going to get hurt. So that was the, the logic behind it. And then there was just a mountain of research. I t- I mean, you know, all, uh, for all these interventions and all these, I've got a bookshelf here, Eric, of, of <laughs> good to great and all these, all these books and wonderful information. But when you want to get down to science and looking at behavior change, the, the field of behavioral science is chock full of studies, empirical studies, meta-analyses showing the benefits of behavioral type intervention. So that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. it's been around 30, 40 years is, is because there's science behind it. So when done correctly, it's, it's a powerful tool to uh, improve culture and, and uh, prevent those serious injuries and fatalities. Absolutely. And, and I think that the topic that I, I most often hear, and I think it has to do with, uh, because it's been around for a very long time, obviously, if you, if you haven't already implemented behavior-based safety, uh, in most cases, this is probably something that, that you really should be looking at. Um, but the, the, a lot of organizations have implemented some, some uh, great behavior-based safeties. They pushed and had amazing outcomes and improvements. But often what I hear about is they push and they plateau. Um, so, so what I want to talk to you about today is a little bit about w- what's missing. So, so uh, obviously, great successes. Um, organizations have improved. They've they've pushed forward, 
but how do we go past that plateau? What are some of the things that organizations should be looking at? Yeah, before we get to that, it's important to note a lot of behavioral safety implementations weren't implemented well. There was a whole right. cottage industry of behavioral safety quote experts who are finding checklists on on the internet and all of a sudden they become a consultant and <laughs> you know the reality of all this is and it's true it diluted the 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 success and the strength of it because a bunch of folks came on board that didn't quite have the the deeper knowledge of of behavioral change and and, and there's a, the system component associated with it so there's a there's 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 a reason why sometimes it didn't go as well as it should. And there's a reason why sometimes people, um, you know, through criticisms of behavioral safety, because it was often implemented uh, poorly. So that's just kind of a, a reality there. Um, two things I want to point out real quickly. Um, first is system factors need to be addressed. And that's where the human performance folks are, are you know, seizing the opportunity and doing a good job in a lot of ways of quit blaming people, fix the system. That's, that's, and that's, um, I think that's, that's an important contribution. Behavioral safety really was safety culture training. You know, I mentioned to folks, I kind of cut my teeth on behavioral safety. What we were doing all those years ago, we were talking about Bandura. We were talking about locus of control, discretionary effort. It was sure. safety culture training with a behavioral intervention kicker. So that's the way any uh, uh, type of, of, of training program should be. It should be more holistic, which we'll talk about in a second. But in terms of hitting plateaus, it's hard to do. Any any kind of intervention, and you know this as well as anybody, when you're trying to change organizations, it takes time, it takes work, mm -hmm. it takes effort, and it's hard. And behavioral safety is no different. The, the challenges in a nutshell is these cards would turn into kind of tick-the-box uh, activities where, particularly when quotas were uh, put in, so we've got a quota due to a month, lo and behold, you get a flood of checklists coming in the last day of the month. And I would see some of them. They would be like a checklist. It would be a photocopied checklist. Oh, no. Like they, they did one. And I'm like, man, if you're going to fake it, you put some effort into it. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I remember so, we had a guest. He was talking about people that, that had, had paid their kids to, to, to fill in lots of forms so that at the end of the month they could mail them in. That's right. Well, win-win then, I guess. Uh, but Exactly. You know. Training your kids at a young age to, to photocopy. <laughs> yeah. I had a guy in Tulsa, Oklahoma one time tell me, and he kept repeating it, it's about people, not paper. It's about people, not right. paper. And he said it just, just enough times where that kind of stuck with me. It's not about the paper. And matter of fact, it's not about the observations as much as it is about the conversation. So one of the challenges with behavioral safety is everyone gets locked in on these cards. It's about people talking to each other. And the hope is when it's done correctly, if you're doing those observations the right way, you can have people talking to each other, card or no card. I'd rather have a good discussion without a piece of paper than fill something out, drop it off, and never talk about it. So um, part of the, the plateau is it became um, bureaucratic, fill out the cards, get the cards, and people are tracking number of cards done. They're not looking, in some cases, even right. at the results. They're not looking at percentages. They're not looking at comments. They're not looking at suggested action items. They're just clicking the box. So that was a long answer, sorry there, for a short question. But I think one of the primary challenges with the, with, with the plateau is it becomes programmatic instead of doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, and, and in those instances, it may be a question of re-energizing what you've got to get uh, Mm -hmm. a great buy-in more involving because I agree so much with what you're saying. It's not about the piece of paper. It's about the quality of the conversation. I would look at piece of paper as a conversation starter, um, mm -hmm. but not, not the actual uh, act or accomplishment that's necessary. What's in it for me is the big, the big question. Yep. And there is value in charting percent safe scores. So you get 
five or six things that, by the way, the people that are designing the, the card, and that's one of the problems with these off-the-shelf things or these online training things, it's like there's no employee engagement. We did research right. years ago sponsored by NIOSH looking at a, a, in a manufacturing facility. Half, half the group got interactive training, and they designed their own cards and how to use it. The other half got rote training, and here's the card, now go do it. The people that were actively involved in creating their own cards and rules for use used them seven times more than the people that did. Wow. That's a seven huge, times you more. just don't see that. It's huge. That's I mean, huge, 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 huge. They huge. had involvement. They had, investment. <laughs> they had investment in it. But, you yep. know, there, but, but, but there's a lot to do there. I mean, you, you want to see percentage-wise, what are we looking at? And it, it shouldn't be a hard hit just checking the box. We should be looking at things like, you know, lockout tagout, tying off, confined space entry. There, these are, there are some serious things there we need to be paying attention to. And if we, we, we can get good data out of it. But the, the bottom line for employees is what's in it for me. Good conversations, changes being made, system improvements being made versus the, these other efforts of trying to get involvement by quotas or incentives and all, all these artificial levers. It's like trying to manage the economy with these false uh, artificial things that are short-term. It's, it's, it, you need to have the fundamentals there. And the fundamental for an economy is, is the one thing. The fundamentals here is simply what's in it for me from the employee perspective, I see value. And when that's done, you, you fight less on these plateaus. There are other things you can do, rotating steering teams, ch changing up the cards, adding human performance elements to the cards too. But those are ways to kind of keep things fresh and, and, and make it sort of a, a living, breathing, ongoing thing. I, I love it. You, you touched a little bit on the, on the human performance tools there um, and, and looking at systems. Um, Completely agree. I think that, that that sometimes organizations get focused on it's just about the behavior and they forget about the system and how it creates it. Any any further thoughts that you want to touch on 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 the, the human performance side in the integration of of those themes? Uh, I think that's a really good question. Years ago, when behavioral safety took off, there were cognitive oh. psychologists that were out there. Michael Topp was one that, that that comes to mind, and and there was a lot of good information there in terms of attitudes matter, what I'm thinking matters, what I'm feeling matters, and the oh. behavioral folks kind of stunned their nose at it a bit, particularly because you know they're looking at science and numbers and data, not feelings. But that's a mistake, and because the, as you and I have talked about many times, attitudes influence behavior and vice versa, yep. and, and behaviors influence results. And, and dismissing cognitive and the, the, the psychology of it, it's funny, it's coming back now in terms of neuroscience. So we've kind of come back around. We've renamed it, just like the human performance folks are kind of renaming some of the stuff that was done by <laughs> Decker and others years ago. It's like, you know, nothing's new, but it's been repackaged and remarketed. And, and, and the, the, the neuroscience is a bit different than what was done before, but it's but there are similarities. My point of that is this dogmatic approach of one versus the other is just harmful. It's 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 uh, business driven. It's ego driven. It's territorial, and it's not helpful. We need a holistic yeah. approach. Uh, responsible consultants are, are are tying in all elements to try to help their clients, to try to fit their needs, meet their needs, help them out. And if it's cognitive, if it's behavioral, if it's human performance, it, it's all helpful. So. That's the long answer. The short answer is there are things you can do um, if you've got an existing behavioral safety process and, and there's benefits of doing that to make the card a little bit better. One of my frustrations is it becomes check the box. There should be questions on there like what do you need? What scares you about the job? What tools would be helpful? Are there procedure changes? How can we improve this job? What scares you? What do you, you know, these questions are open-ended questions and they get people talking. And if we respond to them, and 17 people said there's a scaffolding issue over here. We got to deal with it, and we respond right. to it. 
all of a sudden these cards are helping me because now I got this issue and it's been it's been addressed. So it's more open, it's more interactive, it feels less audit like and it feel feels more conversational. So these peer checks, which is kind of the human performance way of getting at these observations, I think the peer checks integrated with behavioral safety cards is a is a good solution. That's a great 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 comments, great great insights. Um, and, and on the cognitive side, any any other thoughts you wanted to, to add in terms of elements? You, you brought in a lot of different themes there in terms of, of the value. I, I completely agree. I think behavioral. Uh, components you obviously need to shift behaviors to get the right results. Uh, but my my attitude around safety, um, my sense of of control of the risk, my sense of ownership over what I'm doing, all critical important elements uh, that need to be factored in uh, beyond those conversations. But also they will help those conversations because the 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 more I see what's in it for me, the more I'm going to have uh, put in effort and value in the conversations I'm having with a peer on 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 how to improve safety. I'd like to flip it around and ask you that question. I think you'd have more fun answering it than me. The personal why matters. What, uh, yep. you know, my, and we've seen it with leaders <laughs> that are switched on and those that aren't. And if you feel right. it, it's 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 obvious. It's obviously different to people when you're talking about it. If you feel it versus you're saying it because you're supposed to say it. So that however we get to that point, that personal why. And and I like how you kind of will press leaders, especially executives. What is your personal why? Within a few why why does this matter? And like and challenge people to to really think about that. You know that we talk about, you know the the personal five for us, the big five, whatever in terms of you know why we're staying safe. It it changes the narrative from rule compliance to I'm doing this for something. I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it because I want to retire and break 80 playing golf before I die. I mean whatever it is, that personal feeling and the and the reason and the mission why needs to be clear. It needs to be shared with people um, because as you said, um, that's kind of the impetus for a lot of behavioral change efforts is you got to feel it first. And yeah. keeping in mind behavior shifts attitudes too. As behaviors get better, my attitudes yeah. get better. So it, it's sort of the, the, the arrow goes both ways between attitudes and behaviors, but they're both important. Uh, so Josh, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, your, your point on the on the why is an important, is an important one. I, I, I uh, made this reflection a couple years back. I, I started realizing that all the leaders I was talking to that were driving substantial changes in terms of safety performance, and there was one common trait. They all had a very strong why for why safety matter, and they showed up a different way. And, and what you're talking about from a uh, cognitive psychology standpoint, a lot of people are talking about the attitude, belief, mindset of a team member in terms of how I look at risk, how I look at safety in general, how I look at my personal ownership. Uh, but I started realizing that there was this other element, which was how the leader was showing up. Um, and and as you as you said, as you start pushing people to think as to and why do you care about safety and, and articulate that, uh, it created a very strong conviction. And I've seen it in some organizations where you work with one leader who starts really thinking about what what's my why story, my origin story around 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 safety, and then they start conveying it with leaders, and suddenly the leaders start paying attention, and they're like, okay, I need to do this. I need to to actually drive observations. I need to show active care when when I'm in the field, and and so something as simple as really thinking about somebody's origin story, their their why around safety, uh, became so critical to to drive a lot of the the changes. Uh, so we've touched on different topics, uh, Josh. We've talked a little bit about cognitive psychology. We've talked a little bit about human performance tools. We've talked a little bit about how to bolster the behavior-based safety program that you've got. Uh, uh, maybe if it wasn't done well because you got it out of a cracker jock box at some point in time. Uh, what are some of the things that, that uh, you can do to, to bring it to life in an organization, to, to drive improvements to the next level, to push through the plateau? 
So from a big picture perspective, I was with a client years ago, and they said, what's the key to improving safety culture? And I said, get input from people that are on the job, doing the job, and respond yeah. to it. And and she's like, okay, what else? I'm like, there's nothing else. It's not true. There's more. <laughs> but it's like I wanted to reinforce the point. You're not listening to your folks. There's all these fancy initiatives that are going out with all these beautiful conversations and posters, and you're not talking to people. So bringing it to life, that employee engagement piece is critical. You know, we, we mentioned ILOC, internal locus of control from a guy named Rod in the 60s, and it's as important now as it was 60 years ago. Uh, my personal ownership and engagement is key. We talk about Ben Bandura and, and self-efficacy, and I got to believe I can do it. There's a lot of these factors that have not gone out of style. It still matters. So we got to get input from people, get their engagement, whether it's with observations, whether it's with close calls and in, 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 you know, a learning environment context. There's a lot of system ways where we need to get that engagement. But as an employee, I'm not stupid. And if you if you're trying and we're trying to get efforts and you're asking me questions, it could be procedures, it could be anything. It feels different to me, even though it's not perfect. You're engaging me, you're listening to me, you're hearing me, and I appreciate the effort. And and when companies do that, it's a night and day difference versus those that are rolling things out top down. Here it is, now go do it. Yeah, it alienates great. people, it frustrates them, and it leads to things that look good on paper, but they don't look good in, in, in reality. Yeah, and I, I, at the end of the day, I, we've talked about this before. Um, I, when I simplify safety, I always talk about you, you need to have great methods, procedures, policies. Uh, so the quality of, of what you've got has to be top notch. Uh, then you got to have acceptance, people following the rules when nobody's watching, doing the right thing, wanting to do it, uh, wanting to follow policies and procedures. Because if you, if you got great policies and procedures and nobody's following it, they look great on paper, but that's the extent of, of what you're getting, no real results. And then you need to have focus attention on the job at hand, knowing of your limitations and things of that nature. So those are really the three components. And, and what you're touching on is I've never seen people want to do something if they had no say in this, right? It's it's what's in it for me. Uh, you listen to a peer of mine. It doesn't mean it means you need to drive a democracy uh, or, or, or 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 get a, to a consensus across the organization. But seeking that input, such a simple thing, uh, is so key if you want people doing things. And you get better decisions. I mean, you yep, just mentioned rules. I've seen so many goofy blanket policies. I've seen people walking around with their safety glasses on, but no lenses on them saying hi to me like it's just the most normal thing in the world because they were upset they had to wear safety glasses in areas where they, they weren't needed. And I've got more extreme examples. I mean, I've got a bunch of goofy stories I'll tell you another time, but but these blanket policies come down. And why aren't people following them? Because they don't make sense because you never right. talk to the person that's doing the work in the first place. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's just simple. You, 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 I don't know. You, you get better decisions when you talk to people. You get more acceptance from people because they have a say-so, like you said. And I'm getting a little bit wound up just because it upsets me sometimes because I've done so <laughs> many of these training sessions with employees for decades hearing about all these issues. And it's just not reaching folks sometimes. And, and it's just, it's, it's unfortunate because you have conscientious leaders trying to do the right thing. And that simple step, like you said, and it, maybe it's not so simple, but the important step of getting input from folks and responding to it brings life to everything we're doing. So from a larger perspective, when we're trying to re-energize behavioral safety, right. part of that is refresher training. It's really safety culture training, but focusing on behaviors, but also the cognitive side, like you said, also the human performance side, integrate some of the human performance elements into behavioral safety processes. We do commitment workshops with leaders after training, so it doesn't feel like a one. We keep it fresh, keep it live. 
where they talk about mm-hmm. specific things they're going to do moving forward to put their good intentions into place. There's a lot of things that need to be going on. It all starts with that belief and, and feeling it. But there's a lot of things we can do from a system perspective, from a behavioral perspective to increase that discretionary, discretionary effort. And ultimately, better safety culture and reduction of serious injuries and fatalities because those SIFs happen. We think everything's fine. All of a sudden, there's an explosion, kills eight people. We find out when we start doing an investigation after the fact, all these little things were out there and people knew about it and didn't see anything, and that's a problem. That's a huge, huge, huge problem, right? Is 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 what you don't know is is more dangerous in many cases than 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 anything else because you're not dealing with it, you're not learning, you're not getting better. And every big incident that I've ever heard of always started with because there was information that existed that was known, but didn't get to to a point where somebody could act on it and make sure uh, it wouldn't get into something serious. Uh, Any other thoughts you'd bring in? You you brought in a lot of really valuable ideas. We've kind of gone all over in different directions, Um, but great, great input in terms of how to re-energize your safety programs. Um, I, I love what you're talking about in terms of, of holistic approach. My biggest pet peeve in, in management as a whole has been anybody who is dogmatic about this one-size-fits-all approach to everything, because there's never such a thing. There's no silver bullet in management. If there was, uh, whoever invented it would be down in, in, in a bunker somewhere, uh, enjoying life on a beach next to the bumper, bunker and, and a huge mansion. Uh, th- there is no such thing as a silver bullet. It's a question of kind of combining learnings from different pieces. A- any other closing thoughts? No, I'll just echo what you just said. Uh, it's either ego or it's or it's business um, interest. Yeah. When when there's a usually when there's a that that strong of a dogma, I'll just I'll I'll say this in in closing. And this may sound a bit salesy. I don't mean it to, but it's go with what you know. What I know is assess on the front end. Find out what you're good yeah. at. Keep doing it. What you're not so good at. Try to get better. Um, get a strategic plan together, and that's stuff that we help with. Like who's going to do what when? Let's lay it out. I mean, it's just like you do in a football game. Many of us are lamenting college football may or may not continue this year. What a good coach. What is Nick Saban doing at Alabama? He's getting a specific game plan based on strengths and weaknesses and research. And there's a whole bunch of effort that goes into planning. Organizations should be doing the same thing. So assess, plan, and when you do training and other interventions, as you mentioned, make it more holistic. People need to feel it. And then work on sustain it. Uh, And that's from leaders' behaviors. That could be peer check. There's a lot of ways to sustain, but but that's that's your that's your path forward. I think beyond that plateau you had mentioned earlier. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the show, Josh, and sharing quite a few great insights in terms of the the next frontier of improvements and and giving great ideas to people to uh, to, to start charting their their next step in the journey. Uh, and uh, I look forward to having you another time on the show. I'm sure we'll have other topics to explore. That was fun, Eric. Thanks. on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to The Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Fuel your future. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show with the Ops Guru, Eric McCroskey.